Welcome. This is To a Degree, the post-secondary success podcast from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. To a Degree is about the changing face of higher education. We focus on innovative efforts underway across the country to provide every student with the opportunity to earn a college credential. Our conversations explore promising solutions and innovative policies that offer a high-quality and affordable post-secondary experience for all students. Visit toadegree.com to learn more. And now, on to the program. Greetings and welcome to To A Degree, the post-secondary success podcast of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm Casey Green, the podcast moderator. To A Degree is recording today at the 2018 ASCU Annual Meeting in Washington, the American Association of State Colleges and Universities. Our topic is public institutions, public engagement. We will explore what the concept of public engagement means for today's public universities. Our guests are three presidents who will discuss how public institutions are joining with public and private partners to help their communities. With us for this conversation are Leroy Morishita, president of California State University, East Bay. Cynthia Matson is the president of Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Marion Terenzio is president of State University of New York at Cobleskill. I want to welcome you all to To A Degree. Thank you for joining us. Again, we're here at the ASCUS conference in Washington, D.C. Our focus is about public institutions and public engagement. And so let's frame this a little bit. There was a 2001 report, Return to Our Roots, the Engaged Institution, supported by the Kellogg Foundation, uh, encouraging institutions to engage with their communities. ASCU institutions, of course, have always done that. ASCU issued a report shortly afterwards about public engagement. Stepping forwards as stewards of the place offered a definition of what the publicly engaged institution is. In the context of time and how that may have changed over time as you think about public engagements in terms of your own career and your individual institutions. What does it mean to be a public engaged institution? Marion, let me begin with you. I think it is the uh, best way to marry the mission of the institution with uh, the community needs. More and more you hear that uh, the way for communities to thrive and move forward, particularly in today's day and age where things are moving so quickly, you have to rely on finding the talent, you have to rely on finding partners to be stewards of place, and you have to help figure out how to be innovative for your community. And I also think institutions not only do that through innovation and, and through programming, but through modeling and being a role model, mm-hmm. uh, that the best thing you can teach your students is to be good citizens. Lee, where community colleges have long argued that they are the most publicly engaged of any of the sectors. They're closer to the economy because they are 30 miles, 10 miles, as opposed to some of the state institutions that may be in rural or urban communities or city adjacent. Is that fair? I mean. How how does state colleges become publicly engaged? Sometimes you draw from local communities. Sometimes you draw from broader communities. Students may be 100, 150, 200 miles away. I think the idea is to get our students as civically and community engaged as they can be. And so part of that will be, as Marion said, through mission and following your mission. But it really is in terms of, I think, the universities reaching out to the communities instead of being the ivory tower on the hill. My campus is literally on the hill. Uh, Like a lot of others. Yes, and reaching out to the community and finding ways to engage them, asking them what what would be helpful to them and what would be beneficial in terms of what we could offer to them 
rather than us coming down from the hill and saying, here's, here's what we'll give to you. This is what we could provide to you, rather than saying, what is it that you need? How can we best work together? What type of services, what type of uh, input, and what kind of student support do you need? Now, Cynthia, public engagement is not a one-size-fits-all. You represent three different institutions in three different states, three different communities. I mean, we know what the big headers are. You know, some of that is about labor markets. Some of that is about a presence in the community, other kinds of support. But, but how do you tailor that to local communities? You, know, you have been on different campuses. Public engagement may mean different things in different places and also at different times. And my university is relatively young, so we think of ourselves as an emerging institution. And we think about the power of place and leveraging our geography. We're also a university that's located in a very large, uh, historically underrepresented community. So when we think about engagement, we really looked at the student experience and how to educate a, a majority population of first generation and majority Hispanic students in a way that would benefit the community. So we, through a public, or, or th excuse me, through a private donation, uh, created the May Center for Experiential Learning and Community Engagement. And we're focused on how that engagement fits with student preparedness for workforce readiness and career readiness into graduate school. You know, each in your own way. You've talked at the institutional level in your first comments, and you've talked about students. I haven't heard anything about faculty. And, and faculty are sort of the permanent residents in one sense. They are there longer than administrators. Students stay four or five years at best. Let's take a moment to talk about how faculty get publicly engaged or how an institution can foster a culture of public engagement. Cynthia? Well, this is something we've been able to do through the May Center by having staff that work with faculty specifically in creating uh, service learning courses and experiential learning. But we don't expect the faculty to know every NGO or every public need in the community. So we try to marry those two concepts together so the faculty can do what they do best in the classroom and with students without the uh, labor, so to speak, uh, of making all of the connections. And that has really benefited our students well in that community connection and community engagement. And the faculty in particular have appreciated having that, oh, match me up with this particular group and this is what I can do in my classroom. You're in the Bay Area. There are a number of state colleges, Cal State institutions, sort of like in Los Angeles, sort of scattered in and around from north to south, east, you know, east to the ocean. What does engagement mean in terms of the context of each one of those institutions? What's similar about what, what each does and what differentiates what each might do? I think what we do is, going back to your original question here with the faculty, we have to meet the faculty where they are and find the faculty who are interested in various components. So one of the big issues for California is STEM educators and to be having people, STEM educated student graduates prepared. So one of the things we've done is establish the Institute for STEM Education because I have the luxury of having a faculty in the College of Education and the College of Science who want to work together, who want to figure out how do we prepare teachers, how do we do in-service training for teachers so that they prepare students for the STEM education. So we brought together both educators across from pre preschool through K through 12, the community colleges. We brought businesses together, nonprofits, and civic leaders in terms of trying to figure out within our region how do we address those issues. And Marion, you're in a different type of community. Correct. And, and you know, faculty engagement, even more so, I suspect, you know, in terms of faculty who are the permanent residents uh, of, of the college in one sense, who are on a day-to-day basis, -day the real face of the college to the community. And Correct. As a matter of fact, when I mentioned mission, we had just put in a new mission and vision statement, 
and our uh, mission statement talks about applied learning, which has been in uh, this college for over 100 years. And what we've done is, is through the Institute of Rural Vitality, we've connected all the faculty work with the students with community needs through five centers. And they go from the Center of, of Community Development to the Center for Arts and Culture to actually the Center for Social Policy, Entrepreneurship, and Farm because in food systems. And we have embedded the faculty work with the student work in there, put in faculty fellowships. So now the community goes and says what they need on our website, and we create partnerships. We have, a, for example, Startup New York, where we're bringing in an $84 million uh, project greenhouse, and they chose us because of the faculty expertise with their work. We also have committed, and we're a very small institution, $300,000 to do faculty student work with communities. And we call it theory without practice. Theory without practice is impotent, and practice without theory is blind. All right, let's bring this back to mission, however. You think about the traditional mission of universities and the expectation of state legislatures, you're all public institutions. Uh, you're expected to teach and train, labor force development, provide access and opportunity for students. Um, scholarship has been a rising issue in ASCU institutions for the past 40 years, often with support from the National Science Foundation. And yet there's this public, you know, community service that we do with, with faculty evaluation, community, how, how are your institutions evaluated on community service? What's the, is, is there a tension trying to do all three of these well, Leroy? No, in fact, it is embedded in our retention, tenure, and promotion policy. For faculty. For faculty, yeah. in terms of doing some community service. So not just university service, but community service. So there is a desire for our faculty to be involved in the community, to do things in the community of their choosing. But part of that can end up in their scholarly research, because they can do some projects that really work towards that. And that's where if, if people are having difficulty in terms of their scholarly work, saying, why don't you write about that, that publish that put that forward. I mean, it's invaluable what they do, and so that they can provide that as one part of it. Mm -hmm. And Cynthia, as a younger institution, again, how do you bring this, this kind of culture of engagement in as it relates to mission and realistic or unrealistic expectations of the local community about what this university is and does for the local community as well as its students? We're fortunate in, in being a young university that we're building the culture in through the faculty. And so faculty, this is part of the recruitment process for the faculty that we have, but we've embedded much of this in undergraduate research. And that's the engagement piece with the faculty and the students involving them in undergraduate research that also involves the community and ultimately leads to scholarly publications is, is the mission and the vision that we desire. And again, to create the opportunity for students, first generation primarily, to have experiences they wouldn't otherwise have, both in the workforce, in a laboratory, and in undergraduate research, to hopefully spurn the thinking of graduate school if they don't go straight onto the workforce. Okay, and the three of you are presidents. You are the face of your institutions to your local communities. No question about that. What's your role? I mean, how, as you went into your presidency, what expectations did each of you have? What expectations were you told? You know, assignments or responsibilities were you each told to assume in the sense of public engagement? Marion? We, uh, Cobleskill had a history of being very engaged with communities. As a matter of fact, the community started the college 100 years ago. 
but uh, it had fallen uh, to, to the side. And the community was very much worried that the college was not going to become a partner. And that's why I started the Institute for Rural Vitality. It was an expectation to make sure that this institution was not a liability but an asset. So that was one of the top things I had to do. But realizing resources were scarce, had to marry the two again and bring faculty scholarship and work in the entire institution into the community as well for their needs. As a matter of fact, we're the largest employer. Uh, I would imagine that might be that may not be the case for for the uh, other two presidents. But if I may, is that marrying of, of faculty activity and scholarship, is that a semantic kind of wrap? Well, look at this and it, it falls into this bucket, or in fact, does that actually manifest itself as yes. part of mission and commitment? As a matter of fact, that's we just put a new mission statement in that manifests itself, that we are the first institution in the SUNY system of 64 campuses to have applied learning as a graduation requirement. And that was bringing the faculty and student research and work into the community. And we have a 1,200-acre complex farm complex where we bring people onto the farm to learn how to better uh, do agriculture. Leroy, you're one of a number of college presidents in the Bay Area, one of a number of ASCU, you know, Cal State presidents. What's your public presence and, and both to the camp, into the campus and to the larger community about this issue of public engagement? How do you convey that both internally and, and externally? I think the hard part is, uh, just as Marianne said, how some of the communication and some of the relationships withered over time, or maybe never were. We uh, were lucky to get one of the first Promise Neighborhoods grants from the Department of Education, $25 million over five years. So within the Hayward, Promise, uh, Hayward area, we had a designated area that was low income, racially diverse, and trying to uplift those, that whole community. So that provided an entree for me when I entered as president to take leadership of that, along with our dean of the College of Education. And we together then brought together the uh, CEOs of all the entities, all the major partners that were involved. This included the city of Hayward, the uh, school district, the community college there, the uh, health care agencies, the preschool agencies within the county, the health services. and so. We, the CEOs led that together. And, and so you as together, the CEO represented yes. the university. And yes, I was there. And so we that's how we got our people all to work together and to share data, which is a very difficult part, but, but was demanded as part of the Promised Neighborhoods grant. And then we finished our five years, and we were lucky to get another grant from the on the Promised Neighborhoods, $30 million, to help another area of Hayward. I want to come back to some data issues later on in our conversation. Cynthia, again, you mentioned you're a younger institution. You've got some interesting demographics with your institution, expectations of the community as the face and, and ultimately the force of the university, both to the university community and to the larger community. The issue of public engagement and your role, the expectations you had, and perhaps some of the responsibilities that you were told you had to assume. It is really important to understand that in San Antonio, a large metropolitan area, there are a number of universities, just like there are right. in what Leroy's institution describes. And so for us, I think about leveraging the A&M excellence. And so there is a lot of brand identity that exists with A&M uh, and A&M San Antonio being there. So the opportunity to be very engaged ha has been very natural. And yes, it was an expectation from both the board and um, my chancellor in terms of San Antonio also being a new investment in the A&M system. So I've met with the CEOs. Uh, we're 
I'm pretty confident I'm the only campus that has a Toyota manufacturing plant that buttresses up to it. Uh, Holtcat is just down the street and their major manufacturing plant. So there are, I have gone to visit all the CEOs in my immediate geography, as well as many of the uh, Fortune, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies that are in San Antonio to understand their needs and to be responsive through the, this engagement process and how they see workforce, how they see career readiness, and how they see our students being prepared on day one to take on new jobs. Let's return to the faculty issue for a moment, if we may. So you've each talked about how, in fact, you, through your offices and the culture of your campuses, faculty are engaged in communities. That's not true everywhere. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking about an article in the Chronicle of Higher Ed earlier this year by Aubrey Williams. Do, public, do universities, effectively public universities, value public engagement that began to look at the alignment between review and promotion criteria and then these mission statements that sounded lofty and engaged but operationally were not when you actually looked at sort of the nuts and bolts of review and promotion. How do you do that in alignment? Is it easier for ASCU institutions, for your institutions, than say perhaps a public university to do that? We know that in some cases there is this misalignment, or that at least there's a misconnection. Leroy, to you first on that. Okay. I believe you're exactly right. I mean, the ASCU universities, we have something very special, I believe, because our students usually come from us regionally, and so the, most of the graduates remain. And so then this is the workforce that we can help to prepare, prepare in terms of helping our companies, our industries, uh, getting hiring our students. So a lot of it, I think, I've, we've worked at building internships for our students. And I'd love to have every student have an internship in their, in their discipline. And so we've been working with different companies, different nonprofits, governmental agencies to provide internships for our students so that then they get some practical experience, they get tested out by those agencies or those businesses, and oftentimes lead to hire. But, but Marion, for the last 40 years, it's been a buyer's market, not a seller's market for faculty talent. And you know, whatever the public statements are about the quality of teaching, you know, publications, community service, we know that um, even in institutions where research doesn't dominate, research plays a role in faculty advancement. Um, does the hidden messaging there take faculty away from community engagement, from public engagement? I don't think so. And I do think, actually, I want to do the plug for ASQ2, making partnerships work. Uh, principles and guidelines, advice for public university leaders. This is. We'll provide a link to that document yeah, on the podcast. This is a footprint for this this conversation in terms of all kinds of engagement, including the faculty. But we are an applied research institution, teaching institution, and I think um, that's where ASCU has probably a leg up to say it's that scholarship is all of this: the scholarship of teaching and engagement, particularly in today's society where we need to show the relevancy of our academic programming to be connected to the societal needs. You're talking about, uh, the other presidents are talking about businesses. 19% of our students in upstate New York don't see the need to go to college, 19%, even if they graduate. So what our faculty are realizing, too, is working with K through 12. And we can have another conversation about that. But for us, that's a part of the partnership and how we are working like we have, we have a P-Tech program right now in agriculture, and when students complete their th senior year in high school, they'll have a two-year degree from Cobleskill. That faculty uh, applaud that and champion that, and we look for that kind of faculty. They are not hard to find. There are more faculty who believe in this than I think people let on. All right, and Cynthia, the old description of public engagement was town gown. And, and there's still these town gown issues, you know, that apply even as 
mission statements changed. We have more direct engagement, more direct outreach. How does the town gown, the, the old town gown issue, or if they are, play out in your, at your campus? Are they still there? Have they changed dramatically from your understanding and, and what they once were as opposed to what you'd like them to be? Well, how we view them sort of going forward is the connection with some social entrepreneurship, really understanding issues that are of importance to our local and regional community, whether it's in governance, whether it's in education, whether it's certain sort of economic development. In all three of those, you know, the university is listed, my university is listed in the city of San Antonio's master plan for economic development, for some facilities development, for some roadway infrastructure and improvements that benefit the community and benefit A&M and ultimately benefits everyone from, from an equitable perspective to enter and complete their degree. So we have been very fortunate to work very closely with our mayor, our elected officials, our county judge, our local legislators to understand those impacts. But with employers, we've done the same things in terms of looking at needs and filling them. For example, we lease space in Univision's corporate headquarters. We have the first in the nation uh, capstone program where our students take a full course and we have a faculty member out there at Univision. They do everything at the Univision station. Um, it, this is another example of looking at what their needs are and tying them together in terms of town and gown. Leroy, does the new definition of engagement, uh, public engagement public institutions or the old town gown also mean, as, as Marion suggested, universities can no longer ignore the chasm between what goes on in K-12 school districts and their communities and what happens at their campus and with their students? Absolutely. And that's part of our promised neighborhoods in terms of working with preschool. Because right now, we are, I am truly one of the leaders in the region emphasizing the need for preschool education and to teach mathematics. We've focused a lot on language literacy but we spend only one-third the time on math literacy, and that's just as vital for the future of our students. And so we've been working with that within our HPN program, within our Institute for STEM Education, trying to work with educators at all levels and saying how important that is so that we can prepare and to graduate students and have students ready to go into the workforce in a very diverse way because we have a very diverse population in California. My university is considered by the Chronicle of Higher Education one of the top seven most diverse public universities in the country and uh, for Hawaii are our top and then probably us is next. And we really need to educate that population. We have 60% first gens, and so it's really reflective of our region. So we want to graduate those students and provide for them and provide for our communities in that way. You know, there's the old quip that information is the currency of, or gossip is the currency of the bureaucracy. There's no question that data is the currency of accountability. You know, and in terms of the state systems that you each deal with and in terms of your town-gown relationships, one of you mentioned the issue of data in terms of your town-gown activities, the, the public engagement. Talk about how the data environment has changed or is changing your institutions. Cynthia, let me go to you first on this, both in terms of the internal accountability part of the ANN system, part of some of the other initiatives that are underway in Texas, and, and, and the, the conversation with the local community. Uh Texas is very data rich through the Texas Higher Ed Coordinating Board, so we're measured on all aspects of what you would normally consider in a public higher education, but are also compared to other institutions. So it's actually an almanac that's produced with all this data that's publicly available. Within the A&M system, we have a metric or a method through what's called EmpowerU, where all the campus's data is collected on all forms of 
admissions, insurance, performance, graduation, time to degree, retention, persistence, all the things you would imagine, but also looking more intently at engagement, um, how many students are getting jobs right at within six months, or what their compensation is within three years, within five years, are they staying in Texas, where are they going? So it has become much more data-centric, which drives you know, backwards-looking decisions in terms of how early are you engaging in K-12 through to ensure you've got a pipeline of product that's going to move the metrics in the way you wish them to be moving, uh, both regionally, locally, and, and into the national stage. So it's very important. And Mary, and you are also part of a state system. You know, part of the challenge with data is it's too easy to pick one point and you know, whether it's the easy one, obviously, is retention or graduation rates, um, which misses all kinds of things in terms of students who may transfer, other kinds of things that happen. Part of doing data well requires a narrative. Are we doing well with the narrative about data in terms of the public presentation, other than presenting these thick books that are laden with statistics and don't have much explanation? No, not at all, particularly if we keep using what we call the iPads, which is the post-secondary or the secondary uh, data so the independent second, post, thank you. Independent, right? Independent institutional, institutional post-secondary education right. data system Correct. from the Department of Education. Thank well, you. Okay. Uh, because it only looks at first-time, full-time students. And for us and with SUNY, if we do internal transfers, like we're a two-year and a four-year school, if our students transfer from two-year to four-year within the institution, they don't count. If they go to another uh, institution... But it counts against your completion rate. It counts... Correct. And not only that, if we're working, if I say I won't put a master's program in because I have so many master's programs in the state and my students want to do a three-year and then into the master's, they don't count. Uh, particularly for students we're all serving, the, the low-income or even the rural students who First are... First-gen students, students of color, right. Um, it is the wrong data set to use because they're going to drop out. They're going to have different ways of, of also getting an education. We have micro-credentials, for example, that we stack and then they'll become degree granting. Those don't count. So if we take 700 students in and graduate 700 students, we have a great graduation rate, but the mix is maybe 50% of those who started with us are no longer with us because we sent them on. We become a victim of but our own success. how do you success. fix the narrative then that goes beyond the, the, the single data point for your campus across a row of data for the, the SUNY campuses or for the Cal State campuses or the A&M campuses about oh, you're just obscuring that with a lot of words as opposed to that number is the number that matters. You can, well, there's several ways you can do that. First of all, you have to track students, and that goes against FERPA, uh, the, the yeah. uh, Privacy Act. So that, we've got to figure that out to say, Johnny started here and Johnny is now over here. I also think, Cynthia touched upon it, some of our success on our uh, applied learning programs, our internships, and, and to put those out. We have a 97% placement rate for our students, even though our graduation rate shows at maybe 56%. You can do that individually and through different kinds of conversations. Here's I do, I would add that on yeah. the almanac and things that I was referring to, that there actually is a narrative on there that allows us to give a good comparison. For example, to the point Marion was bringing up, if a student transfers from my campus to another campus, it will still count in my number in Texas. So my That's uh, rare in state our, systems. Any of my metrics will show how many of my students Very finished good. with me, but there'll, there'll be a bar right next to show they fin these number finished in Texas. Now, if they leave Texas, it's a different story, but they're tracking them from within Texas. So we are able to mine in a way that's meaningful and is actually telling a story. Yeah, I don't think Cal State does that. No, we don't do that. We have tried to do that, but yeah. we can't do a common course numbering and tracking throughout the 
from the community colleges all the way through the CSU or the University of California or with our private. So it is very complicated. One part, though, that in terms of the data points that uh, is starting to be looked at now, now is in terms of social mobility and how are we moving students from the lowest quintile of the socioeconomic spectrum up to the top and, you know, and how we're transforming lives. And that's what I think needs to be communicated. I mean, I'm really pleased that Money Magazine recently considered us the 14th most transformative university in the country and CollegeNet looked at pay scale and other data points and made us number nine in the country in terms of social mobility. We've so, had some of the folks right? involved in that work, which involves census data and truly not just big data, but giga data kinds of analysis mm -hmm. in terms of institutions that are catalysts for social mobility. There are a number of them that have been highlighted in the Cal State system and elsewhere. But that that's academic work in, in terms of the decoder ring that takes that to the public. And where I want to go with this next question is how does that play out this time of year for, for the 1.5 million high school students who are looking at becoming the next 1.5 million full-time under freshmen in fall 2019? And what they see on the newsstands and what sucks the air out of the conversation is the U.S. news rating, which addresses only a small part of that population and a small number of campuses. You know, for me to go to that one source... There are others that are now looking at, at other kinds of data that do better, you know, to see that the state colleges are sort of buried in an appendix someplace after the 100 institutions. You know, that, that takes a lot of the air out of the conversation, but it's not necessarily rich air that helps the rest of the conversation, if you will. Leroy, go, go with that for a moment, and then we'll hear sure. uh, as I well mean, I from, from Marion and Cynthia. I think most of the ASCUs are regional institutions, yeah. so we serve our region. So we do outreach there. Obviously, we reach out throughout the state, but we try to talk about what we're going to do in terms of people's opportunities, right? We want to provide access, we want to provide opportunity, and we want to provide graduation success. So that's where we focus in terms of our energies, telling people, hey, you read all these things about it's unaffordable, that it's not worth it. We have to give the narrative in terms of that it actually is affordable, the narrative that it is worth it because what can happen to you, not only on the income scale, but in terms of your civic engagement, in terms of your livelihood, in terms of your personal happiness. If you and go individual out, health. It, we know that college exactly. graduates live better, healthier lives. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Cynthia, how do you, how, for your students, you know, U.S. news probably doesn't make a difference, and yet it's on the newsstands and, and perhaps in the tongues of, of folks on the A&M board and in the, in, the, in the state offices in Texas. Well, in Texas, we feel like we all benefit from the Texas A&M system excellence. Mm. Uh, and as a regional university, we do much of what Leroy was discussing, a lot of outreach. But we, really for us, what makes a difference is the campus visit. And so we've really strategized and focused on earlier campus visits as, as young as elementary school. The, the, this is your university. Uh, we hold a number of community-wide events that are free in our community, like uh, Lights of Esperanza and Festival de Cascarones. Those are unique to San Antonio, but they're community-wide festivals that we take part in that brings people who have never had college in their family history to the campus, and we take every opportunity to explain this is your university. That's why we've invited you here. On top of all the other great recruiting things we do, those are some of the areas where we try to differentiate, reach back out earlier, and invite more people in at all points of the cycle of a student so that when they do graduate, Texas A&M San Antonio is on their mind, and we're just completing that circle. And Marion, that outreach and education effort, not just to students and their families, but to members of the legislature, folks right. in town, how does that play out at your institution? 
Very much the same way. Um, we, we are advocates for our education, and as a matter of fact, when the state legislators come for a visit, they hear much the same thing that uh, Cynthia was talking about with the students. Is this, is, this is the value added. This is how we bring forward the education, particularly when we're talking about the K-12 and getting that pipeline alive and well, because that's what you're referring to. We don't look at US News and World Report, but we all know where we are on it, so we're in the top 27 for the Northeast region. But what does that mean? Uh, and that's it means you exactly, can put a sticker on a newsstand exactly, in an airport, right? right? What's more important to say is, and I think Cynthia and Leo, I would agree, is the alignment. And that's what we talk to the state legislators. So SUNY Cobleskill is one of the ag tech uh, with along Cornell and Morrisville in the entire state. This is who we're serving. We're the only John Deere program in the entire Northeast. Again, what, what programs do we have on campus? And that's the alignment. And you know, if a student doesn't see where they fit, then they're not gonna do well at the college. And that we do access and we do success. So it's not just getting them in the door, but you talk to the parents and students and the state legislators to say, here are the resources. This is what we guarantee you. This is the kind of engagement you're gonna have. And the faculty are front and center. So if the faculty are also talking about that and their legislators are meeting and seeing their good research, like the DEC, the Department of Environmental excuse me, Conservation, just gave us a $600,000 grant to put one of their people on our faculty to, so they can learn about fishery and wildlife. That's how you do it, is to show your worth to these other agencies. All right, as we close, I just want to bring us back to the topic, which is public engagement. You are three presidents at three publicly engaged institutions. Your words today make it very clear. You are individually publicly engaged. What counsel, what advice do you offer to your colleagues who say, I want to up my public engagement game as a president and as an institution? Marion. You have to start with your mission and vision statement and have the faculty lead the charge with you. Find faculty champions. Leroy, counsel to your colleagues who want to up their personal and institutional engagement? I agree with what Marianne said. You get your faculty involved, but then you really reach out to with your students, and then you reach out to the community asking them what is it that they need from you. And Cynthia, your suggestions for colleagues? Agree. Ensure the mission, vision, the strategic plan is very clear, that these partnerships are important, and they've got measurements which you can tie to. And then you yourself as president have to be very visible and very engaged in the community at all sectors at all times. You have to be on the street and in the meetings. Correct. You're all nodding. Okay. Yes. For our audience, they are all nodding. <laughs> all right. I want to thank all three of you for joining us for this To A Degree conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of To A Degree, the post-secondary success podcast from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and visit our website at toadegree.com. To A Degree is produced by G2Ed. Jenny Goldstein and Casey Green are the executive producers. 